Hey, good morning, everyone. Welcome here to Providence Church. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors. And uh, this morning, uh, we wanted to, uh, for a second, uh, get your minds going in the direction of uh, just the end of the year and giving. Uh, and Andrew and I talk a lot about that. And we, you already hear from us enough. And so we're going to invite one of our financial team members up, Alex Schultz, um, who works in finance uh, during the week. And he's much smarter than we are about this stuff. And so could you guys give it up for Alex? He come up, comes up and shares with us. Thanks. Um, all right. So I'll just kind of start off by uh, just kind of summarizing with this. So let this sink in. God asked for all of us, and yet he only asked for 10% of our money. Okay, just let, let that sink in, and then I'll kind of come back from the serious note. My name is Alex, like Jared said. The real reason why I'm here is because here's the ask for the end of the year, $108,000. So this is not an enjoyable thing to talk about, and this is an awkward thing in our society, but the matter of the fact is God don't, not only moves through finances within the church, but he moves through finances within us. And so I know personally uh, my family and I, uh, this is really what keeps us grounded, is being committed to the tithe. Um, and so I just want to kind of summarize and give a, a few uh, things to consider. Um, over the past year, 17 people have been baptized here at Providence, all right? So yeah, get excited about that. 17 people here. All right, we've helped send three missionaries um, for longer-term missions over to Thailand, um, we've maintained the relationship with the Santa Monica House, uh, so have supported Global Friends uh, Mission, um, uh, multiplied city groups, uh, had new city group leaders, created content resources, and numerous classes for uh, the church and all of us as the congregation. Um, and we've just excelled in growth within this space. And not only to mention and emphasize, we have moved buildings, we're here now, and wanted to highlight since moving here, We've had 13 new first-time givers. So that is a huge deal as a church family, all right? And so this call is for three types of people, all right? Towards the end of the year, like Jared said, November, December. Um, so number one, normal monthly givers. So we urge you to not only to continue to give, but consider bumping up a gift, doing a one-time additional gift. Uh, number two, the the special year-end givers, all right? So if you normally just do a one-time lump sum towards the end of the year, you just kind of skate your way through the whole calendar year, and then you get towards November, December, and like, yeah, we got to give to our church family. Um, so just consider to give a little bit more than you normally would. Um, and lastly, new and newer people. So if you've just started to give, or if you haven't really taken that first step, I know this is really kind of a hard thing to do. You can like sneak in, sneak out. And especially since we don't have the awkwardness of pass passing a basket row by row, right? It's just sitting in the back on a little table back there. Just really pray into this and really just, I want you to think about what it would look like for you personally um, to take that first step to give for maybe the first time or to change from doing just random, you know, gifts to consistently giving and um, giving towards the tithe, all right? Um, so I'm a numbers person. $108,000 seems a little overwhelming um, to me personally, right? Um, so I just want to give you some context. Last year in November and December, uh, as a church, we did $74,000 of gifts, all right? 
And so, yeah, I don't know if that helps, right? $34,000 increase. But now that we're in this space, if I did some math, it turns out to be about close to $150 per person and additional gifts, all right? So I'm a very tangible person, bringing it back down to real life, real numbers. Um, So this is going to be a massive opportunity for people that are going to excel that $150, but I want you all to know that actual number because this is something that I felt growing up, and we have a lot of uh, college students even here today, that Everything matters, and it's not so much for the church itself and hitting this $108,000, but this is really going to be something that's going to excel and speed up the how much um, maturity you have in your spiritual walk, and this is a huge deal that you know, we've been commanded to, to give and to tithe. So those, that, that, is, that is my tangible gift um, analysis, and, and like I said, appreciate you guys, and one shameless plug that this is completely off script, um, because I can do this because I'm not on staff here. Um, so as the church being essentially a small business, I don't know if you guys know this, but when you go into a small business, a lot of times they don't even offer credit cards, right? They offer just straight cash. Um, there is a processing fee when we accept gifts via credit cards. And so this, like I said, staff did not want me to touch on this, but I'm letting you know there is about a 3% cut off of all credit card gifts. And so if you can just link up your bank account, so on, online, you can do that. It even goes through the app. You, once you give, you can download the PushPay app. But if you just link up your bank account or even give cash, I know almost no one has checks anymore, but they still do work. Um, And so that is just, I wanted to add that as well. So thank you guys. Appreciate you. Am I off again? Oh my goodness. I'm falling apart here. Um, Thank you, Alex. And I believe, hey, if I'm not mistaken, the 108,000 covers the end of the year budget for November and December. So that's what our goal is aiming for. Um, We love the fact that we've got smart people in the room that are helping us figure that out. And so um, we are, uh, yeah, prayerfully consider it. We'd love that. Now, um, what we want to do right now is I'd love to invite Jane. Are you here? Jane, could you come up and read the scripture for us this morning? We have an opportunity uh, to hear from God every week as the scripture is read. Would you stand with us? And I just want to take a moment to just pray for our hearts, that we would have humble hearts. Here you go. Humble hearts and that God would speak in a real way to us as we hear the scripture read and uh, through the preaching of the word. So let me pray. Jesus, um, we're thankful for today. It is a unique opportunity once again to gather. I know that there are 52 of these Sundays in a year, and many of us have been to church many, many times, but you are a living and active God, and you're here with us, and, and we have the opportunity to hear something new and fresh that could be applied to our hearts uh, in a way that maybe we've never considered or a may, way that we've been maybe um, moving away from, that you've been beckoning us toward uh, for a long time. God, I just pray that you could do something unique in this place and you would allow our minds and our hearts uh, to be softened to what you would have to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The scripture comes from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. 
And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. Thank you, Jane. Hey, could you just give it up for her for reading scripture for us? Um, you guys can have a seat. I feel like I've already gotten a full workout. I've been up here like seven times, up and down. I will not keep doing this, but welcome here once again. Uh, if you're new, you got an announcement sheet on the way in and an order of service. There's uh, has some of the things that are going on, or we have a welcome table out front. We would love to connect with you that way if you're trying to figure out what's going on at this place. So, um, we're going to dive into Acts 2 today, uh, but let me start this way. So last weekend, I became convinced that God was trying to get my attention because two times within three hours on Saturday, I randomly came across the same quote or the same saying. The first time was in a book that I was reading on this epidemic of hurry in our culture, and I read it. And then a couple hours later, I was mindlessly scrolling through Instagram. Not a good idea, by the way, not helpful, but I was mindlessly scrolling through Instagram and all of a sudden I'm like, wait, I just read that quote in a book a couple minutes ago. And I'm like, okay, God, what are you trying to say to me? So this was, this was what the quote was. I think we have it up here on the screens. It said, your, your current habits are perfectly designed to deliver your current results. I'm like, ouch. Okay. I thought, wait a minute. So you're saying that the things that I do on a day in and day out basis, that the rhythms that I have in my life are actually in large part contributing to my anxiety that I have, to the exhaustion that I feel, to the, to the lack of production that I have at work, to my uh, anger that I have at times, to my lack of fathering ability that I have, or, or my, uh, my poor husbanding, if that's a word. Like I'm thinking, what? Is, can this be true? I'm like, oh, have you ever thought about that before? And I thought, wait a minute. If this is true about individuals, it might be true about a community. I thought about our church for a second. And so I, I kind of wordsmithed it, rewrote it, and, <clears throat> and came up with this. Your current church's habits are perfectly designed to deliver your church's current results which would make us ask the question, okay, wait, what are the rhythms or the habits of our church and what do we see as the results? Like, do we see any gaping holes in our church between what God has called us to over here and what's actually happening in our church over here? Now, personally, I, I do believe that God is doing a deep work here. I think he's doing something fresh and I actually think he's beginning to start something New, but at the same time, there are parts of our community life and parts of us in pursuing the mission that I feel like there, there's some significant room to grow, which would make us think, okay, what are the things that we need to do, the, the rhythms that we need to actually invest in so that we can become the church who God is calling us to be? I think one of the most inspiring places to draw on what, what the rhythms of our church should look like is to look at the early church, the first church in Acts 2. That's the passage that Jane just read. 
in those uh, five or six verses there. Uh, and, and what we see is uh, a picture of this pure church that the Holy Spirit created and these people responding in a beautiful way. And so today, my goal this morning, as we preach about this idea of rhythms, is to first look at this church in Acts chapter two to see what they do, and then to have kind of a a collective challenge for us to uh, attempt to, uh, through the power of Jesus, the power of the Spirit, live in uh, the same way. And as we do that, I think it's gonna be important as we think about the rhythms that we inhabit as individuals and as a group to, to recognize, man, it actually matters that we show up here on Sunday morning together. And it actually matters that you show up with a humble and teachable heart and that you expect God to move. It matters for the entire family. And throughout the week, it matters that you show up at your city group. And it matters whether you choose to engage or disengage when you're there, whether you choose to dive into conversation or distance yourself from people. It matters whether you choose to pursue the people in your city group or you uh, choose to kind of run the other direction and kind of live a life uh, apart from them. Th- apart from them, Those things all matter. And genuinely following Jesus, when we live out the rhythms of, of being gathered here on Sunday— or scattered in our city groups throughout the week. That's the terminology we use, gathered and scattered. This is going to play a huge uh, part in the, the, the results that we see, or maybe the fruit that we see in our church. So today, this sermon is not for you individually. It's actually for us as a collective family. And the call for today is to be devoted to gather and scatter. That's the main idea, that we are devoted to gather and scatter. And so um, we want to look at this uh, gathered rhythm and this scattered rhythm that the church in Acts 2 has, and then kind of ask some honest questions about ourselves. And so uh, if you like a kind of a a linear timeline, first I'm going to talk about this idea of being devoted, just real quick, just to introduce us. And then we're going to spend half of our time talking about the gathered church and half of our time talking about the scattered church. And hopefully it will be encouraging and challenging to you at the same time. And so first, a word about being devoted. Can we put Acts 2, 42, the first verse up on the screen real quick? This is what it said. I'm just going to read the first verse. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. That's verse 42 right there. The second or the third word that you read in there is devoted. This was the very first church. And when when Jesus was preached to this massive crowd of thousands of people, there were 3,000 people. It says it right in the text before this. 3,000 people that respond and they say, what do we do now? Peter, what do you want us to do? And because they met Jesus, they had this encounter with Jesus, they were compelled to be devoted. Devoted, I looked up this specific word in the Greek, what it means. It means a, listen to this, a steadfast, single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action, okay? It kind of reminds me of the first time I met my wife and how I had this devoted nature to it. So I, I actually uh, met my wife on a blind date. Now, for those of you uh, who have maybe been on a blind date, you know, if you go on a blind date, you, you don't want to have high expectations because a lot of times it just doesn't go well, okay? I've had some failures. I had some failures. I mean, um, it, it, 
Uh, anyway, uh, but this was different. Like, uh, there was a, a spark that happened. There was chemistry that was in the air than when we met. And uh, because of that, I got her number right after that. And I was devoted to her because you can ask her this. I texted her or called her for the next three months straight. Every single day I was texting and calling her after that. A month after we had met for the very first time, I decided to drive out to Colorado. She lived in Texas at the time. I lived in Omaha. I decided to drive out to Colorado to meet her so we could be together and snowboard together. A couple months after that, uh, I met up with her. This was the third time I'd ever met her, and I told her that I was quitting my job and I was going to move to Texas to be closer to her. She was a little overwhelmed and excited at the same time, but I was devoted to this. And so I moved three states away to be next to her. And then nine months later, I spent a pretty penny on an engagement ring. Some of you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like that is being devoted in a way. And then I said, hey, I want to get married to you. And three months after that, I got married to her. And then we talked and I said, hey, I want to take this to the next level. Let's have kids together. And so we had kids together. And now about six years later after that, I feel like my life in the last six years has been characterized by changing about 5,000 diapers and getting up about 3,000 times in the middle of the night because I am devoted, right? Now, I'm not always devoted. I'm not saying that I'm the perfect husband, but you kind of get the idea. Like this is kind of what we expect in a marriage. When you meet somebody, you fall in love. There's a sense of devotion to them. And these people in Acts, they met the real Jesus. And there was something so compelling about this relationship to Jesus that their lifestyles completely altered after that. It was a completely different world and lifestyle for them, uh, even more so than maybe a 20-something-year-old bachelor getting married and then becoming a father of four. So that's this idea of being devoted. And so then we have to ask, so what did happen? What were these new rhythms that they instilled in their church? Well, when the Holy Spirit came upon them, you got to keep in mind, these people did not have a, a churchy baggage to them. There was a sense of purity to what the Holy Spirit was creating in them. And they responded in that verse 42. Maybe we can look at it again. They responded by, by being devoted to the apostles' teaching and fellowship and then to the breaking of bread, and then to prayer. And so we want to take a, a, a little bit to talk about these things. And so, in other words, the first thing that they devoted themselves to was this fellowship together. And in this fellowship, they were committed to teaching or preaching the word to one another. Now, this is why when we gather here, we're talking about the gathered church, okay? This is why as the gathered church, we gather here, we don't consider it antiquated to preach sermons. And we don't consider it irrelevant uh, to open up the Bible. As a matter of fact, all of our sermons are, are Bible passages that we take that we are trying to teach from the Bible, from the passage. Because we know that in this, I mean, there, there are a lot of the different things you can teach, like, we know that you during the week could go online and look up a TED Talk and get informed about something. Or we know that you could tune in to Oprah or Tony Robbins and get inspired. And so, well, some of you could get inspired from that. Not all of you, but you could get inspired by that. Or you could look up on Netflix, you could watch a documentary, and you could learn some crazy stuff that you never learned before. I'm sure we've all done it before, but this first church was formed and guarded by preaching the Bible. Can I show you a few examples in Scripture of what I'm talking about or, or why we do this? In Romans 10, 
verse 17. <clears throat> it says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So in other words, through preaching and teaching the Bible, there is this sense in which faith is created through preaching Christ. Not only that, but there are believers who are built up in their faith through preaching. That's one of the reasons we do it is because it makes faith happen in a way. Another example, so Paul, the same author who wrote Romans, uh, writes to his understudy kind of uh, uh, son in the faith, Timothy, who is another pastor. And he writes to Timothy, and in 2 Timothy 4, he tells him to preach the word, and he does tells him to do so, so they won't be um, tempted to believe in other things. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, to the same, same Paul, to the same Timothy, he writes in verse 13, he says, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching, which is what we do here in the mornings on Sundays. We, we read the scripture and we teach it or we preach it. And then in verse 16, he says, this is why. He said, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by, by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. He's, Paul is saying to Timothy, hey, he's saying through appropriate Bible teaching, the church family can be saved, protected, and guarded in walking with him. That's why we do this. So this rhythm of preaching in our gathered church is essentially giving us an alternate Jesus-centered storyline to what the world would want us to believe. If this goes downstream, this Jesus-centered storyline that comes from Bible preaching is going upstream. Here is an example. So about six weeks ago, um, I walked into a, a Sunday morning gathering, and, and here was my state of mind. One, I was stressed because there was a lot going on. Two, I was angry at some people and I was like having a hard time getting over it. There was some dissension between me and some other people. And three, I had this crazy to-do list because we were about ready to move into this building and there was about a thousand things that needed to get done. And I was all worked up and I was feeling this pressure to be able to somehow muster up the strength and the capacity to at the same time become Superman and complete my to-do list to all of a sudden start liking people that I was disliking at the time and to be able to be able to knock out all of the things that I was supposed to get done with family and work and all of that. And I came in here on a Sunday morning in that kind of place. If you've ever heard of people talking about like the whole hashtag winning thing, at this point, I felt like I was hashtag losing. Like that was my state of mind at the point. And I came in here on a Sunday morning. It was actually at the Pella. And, and I came in and, and Andrew McGill uh, opened up the Bible to Ephesians 6 and he preached a sermon to us on the armor of God. And what he said was, hey guys, uh, you're not fighting a, a, a battle against flesh and blood. You're fighting a spiritual battle. And he said, hey, don't come into this battle uh, unexpecting uh, this. Remember he, he challenged us, he, he told us about his friend who came to two days football practice in August and he showed up in jeans and a cutoff shirt. He said, don't show up in jeans and a cutoff shirt. Like you have a God who's on your side, who's trying to strengthen you, to help you. Like pray your guts out to God that you could walk in him. And so in that moment, everything in my mind and, and everything in the world around me told me to freak out and be chaotic and, and be overwhelmed by everything. But at the same time, 
this biblical preaching invited me into another storyline to rest in Jesus and his power. So while we have the opportunity uh, to get, when we have the opportunity to gather here, we have the opportunity to, to believe into this gospel storyline that is preached at us every Sunday. That's why we preach the Bible. That's the first thing. The second thing uh, that we want to talk about is the breaking of bread. Did you notice that? That was uh, a thing listed in there. So <clears throat> scholars have actually argued, maybe you've wondered this as well, what this breaking of bread actually means. Like, does it mean that we are um, just that they were just eating together at the time? Does it mean that they were having communion or the Lord's Supper? Well, as I was looking, uh, people have argued, and a lot of scholars would say that it actually means maybe both. That that at the same time they were eating together, but they were also um, practicing communion together, and so. That's why on Sunday mornings here, we have donuts here that we can break and eat together. No, just kidding. You guys are like, is he heretical? Like, what does he say? No, um, that's not why we do that. They just taste good <laughs> and have a lot of sugar in them, um, which is why I don't eat them. But, um, so, but we are committed to having communion when we gather every week to practice the Lord's Supper. And, and the reason we, we, we believe in this we love doing communion every week. There's a reason, and there is a reason that the early church had a, a practice of practicing the Lord's Supper when they gathered together. And, and here's kind of why. Think of it this way. So think about your week from last Sunday to this Sunday. Think about all the things that have happened. You probably think back in your mind, you think, man, there, I kind of, there's some good stuff I did last week. Like, there were some God-honoring things. Like, I, I, I helped some people. I, I loved some people. I read my Bible a little bit. Like you have probably a little bit of a highlight, a mediocre highlight reel maybe over here. But then at the same time, there's probably some things that you did that you aren't too proud of. There might be some things, some actions that you wish you kind of wouldn't have done. There might be some words that you said that you kind of wish you could take back. And what we do when we practice communion, when we come forward at the end of this sermon, is we are essentially saying, hey, in spite of my unfaithfulness to God in the ways that I've maybe failed, there is a faithful God who always has and always will be completely 100% faithful. I'm here seven days later, and the same thing is true. God is still faithful, and through the body and blood of Jesus, my feeble efforts of both faithfulness and unfaithfulness can come and be accepted by God, and God looks at us, and he says, hey, I love you. I want you into my family. Come forward and dine with me. Sit with me. Be a part of my family, and so every week, in communion, that is what we are reminded of when we practice it. So if you're here this morning and you're like, man, I made a mess of this last week. I don't have any place to be here this morning. If you are feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling inadequate, whatever the case be, if you are coming in here and you are in Christ, know that God with open arms through his faithfulness and through the sacrifice of Jesus credited his righteousness to you and said, hey, I would love to have you come forward. I would love to have you dine with me and eat with me. We are completely welcomed because of the blood and the body of Christ. <clears throat> That's the, the next thing it mentions. One, one last thing that it mentions uh, in relation to the gathered church, it talks about prayers, okay? Uh, so 
it seems like a natural thing to pray in church, right? Of course we pray in church. That's what Christians just do. Now, if you've ever been a part, please don't raise your hands because I don't want to be discouraged by this, but if you have ever been a part of a worship team or a worship team planning set, you may know that there are times in churches from time to time that people insert prayers into worship services to save from awkward transitions between two things. And I just want to say, that's not the goal of prayer in a worship gathering like this, okay? We actually want to call on God and to see him move. If you move forward a couple chapters in the book of Acts to Acts chapter 4, you see that the church was gathered together and they begged God for boldness. And what it says in Acts 4, it says that as a result of that, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. In other words, the Spirit answers our prayers here. We don't have prayer as a time filler as we're hanging out here, but we recognize that the God of the universe is here. He's listening. He wants to respond and answer our prayers. I'm thinking of just last week I was sitting here in the room. It was the 11 a.m. gathering, and here was my reality. I had already heard Andrew's sermon once at 9 a.m., and uh, the day before, on Saturday, I had actually emailed back and forth with him, giving, working on editing, helping him edit his sermon. And so about every single word that he was saying up here at 11 a.m., I knew exactly what he was going to say by the time he said it. And I got to be honest, I was not expecting much. I'm like okay, heard this before, let's get over it. But Andrew, as he many times does, prayed at the beginning of his sermon. He prayed God, um, he asked that God would give us soft hearts. And so as I sat right up here in the front row with a hardened heart, I listened to the first third of his sermon, the second third of his sermon. I'm like, yeah, 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 I've heard this before. And then uh, all of a sudden he started talking about this need for discipleship in the church. Like we have to be committed to disciple making. And all of a sudden it's just, bam, it like hit me and my hard heart just crumbled. And I realized, oh my goodness, God is trying to get my attention through like the fifth time I've heard this sermon because he wants to challenge me. Hey, Jared, you're not all about disciple making. And it was just small example of reminding me when prayers are prayed in the gathered church, things, things actually happen. God actually shapes us. He listens. He responds. That's why we pray. So if we think back to this original phrase that I kind of hijacked and changed. It said, your current church habits are perfectly designed to deliver your church's current results. Providence, if we want to be people who are not tossed to and fro by every little thing that happens at work, everything that happens in your family, everything that happens with your kids, if we want to not be a people who get outraged and freak out like literally every person on Twitter or like all the newscasters do about the, the, the political state of what's going on in the elections, if we don't want to be swayed completely into believing everything that the world values and everything that the world says that we should believe, we must come here and gather on Sunday mornings and drink in the goodness of of the gospel, the good news of Jesus that comes to us through practicing communion. It comes to us through singing these truths. It comes to us through listening to the preached word of God. It comes to us through, through interacting and hanging out and serving one another, through hanging out in the gathered church. All of these things, through all of these things, we are shaped as a family. We encounter God as a family, and we are built up and sent out as a family shaped by the gospel. 
which brings us to our second point. The first half was about the gathered church and what we do here on Sunday. The second half is about the scattered church because the church exists more than on Sunday, right? There's six other days during the week um, that, that we live out. And what I want to do, while there are many, many different rhythms that we could look at in the scattered church, we wanted to focus on the one organizing rhythm that we have, or organizing thing that we do during the week, which is city groups. You've heard us talk about this before. Our city groups, we've kind of nicknamed Families on Mission. And so what I want to do for the remainder of our time is to look at what it would be like to form rhythms and habits to live out this idea of what the Acts 2 community lived out as Families on Mission. And so let's talk about the scattered church for a second. And I want to read the last four verses in this passage, verses 44 through 47. It says this, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And the Lord added to their, oh, did we miss one? Oh, day by day, yeah, and and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, every time I read these verses, I don't know if you could get your head around what was going on there. Every time I read these verses, my, my heart kind of leaps out of my chest, and I just think, man, what if... Like, what if we could live like this? What if we could be a church who captured the heart of this early Acts 2 community? We just talked about this a couple weeks ago, this idea of living as a family. And I think, man, what if some of those things that we were talking about that have begun to happen, like, became the norm completely? That we were giving each other rides all the time to wherever when it was uh, inconvenient in our schedules in order to help people out. What if we were helping each other raise our Kids, what if we were helping each other by coming alongside when, when people in our lives and in our city groups didn't have enough money to pay their bills and we were actually getting monies out of our, money out of our own pockets and supporting people and paying people's bills for them? What if we were at people's front doors as soon as they had a crisis in their life? Like what if we started to live like this? I just get excited about the idea. Did you see some of the things that it said that the first church did? It said that they were radically loving. It said that they shared all their things together. It said that they ate meals together. It said that they had glad and generous hearts because of that. It said that they, by the way they lived, they actually had favor with the people who were around them. That's kind of a novel idea, right? And not only that, not only did they have favor, but there were people, the Holy Spirit was doing such a work through them that there were people being added to their number. People were believing in Jesus as new followers of Jesus every single day. Like, that is crazy. Now, you're reading this and you're like, okay, This happened one time, like, let's not get too idealistic here, like, this is probably kind of a flash in the pan, and then the church tanked a little bit. Well, I want to tell you that this was not like a New Year's resolution for the church that lasted for like 19 days, and they tanked, kind of like it does at the gym when you go on January 1st. It wasn't like that, and there's proof to show that it wasn't like that. Some 200 years later, there is a story told of the church In Alexandria, in Egypt, AD 260 was approximately the year when a deadly plague hit 
um, hit the city of Alexandria and people, there was this wildly contagious plague that people were just um, losing their life just one after another by the hundreds in this city. And um, Dionysius was an elder in the church there and he tells a story, uh, tells a story of how the church responded and how they truly lived as brothers and sisters to one another, compelled by the love of Christ. And in just a few sentences, this is what he writes. Listen to this. He said, The bodies of the saints they would take up in their open arms, in their bosom, closing their eyes and shutting their mouths, carrying them on their shoulders and laying them out. They would cling to them, embrace them, bathe and adorn them with their burial clothes, and after a little while receive the same services themselves. For those that were left behind were ever following those that went before. That's crazy. And I read passages like Acts 2 and Acts 4 and think about the church in Alexandria two centuries later. And, and quite honestly, here's my concern. I am afraid that all of that, that us in this room will go our whole lives and attend church services and be a part of church activities our whole lives, but never experience anything close to this these things that were happening. Like, I think God maybe has something more. So then I ask, okay, what are we going to do about that? Like, what rhythms are we going to put in place here at Providence for our city groups to yield some different results? And so through hours and hours of, of praying and strategizing and, and meeting and reading books and uh, emailing leaders that are both here in our city and around the country who are trying to kind of embrace this same idea of being the scattered church like this Acts 2 community. In, in communicating with all of them, I realized there is something I think that needs to change about our uh, about our city group rhythms. Like, I think our leaders are amazing. I think our church, you guys, like, I think you are amazing. But I think if the scattered church is going to look anything like Acts 2 or like the church in Alexandria, something needs to change in our rhythm. So let me explain it this way. In discipleship to Jesus or in following Jesus, there are really um, two movements to growth. I think this will make sense to you. There is a, a hearing and then there is a doing aspect, okay? So when we're growing, when we're following Jesus, there is this knowledge or this learning that happens that must happen. But at the same time, there is this action, this other centered thing that happens with our, head, our, with our heart and our, excuse me, that happens with our hands and with the words that we speak. There's this action that happens. And in my assessment, I'm not an expert completely, not an expert, but in my assessment, as we look at our church as a whole, I would say that the scale weighs heavily in this direction, that we are a people in general that are pretty good at learning and gaining the knowledge that we need to have. But at the same time, I think there is a sense of lack on the doing or the action part. And I include myself in that group. If you're talking about, in terms of Andrew's sermon last week, uh, we're talking about picking up the toys, but we're not picking up the dang toys. Were any of you here last week? No offense to Jet, by the way. I'm sure he's great at cleaning up his toys. So, so then I began to ask, okay, what are, or how are city groups uniquely positioned to, 
to live out this call of the gospel and being the scattered church. And I realized that, that um, our, the kind of tagline or the nickname that we have of being families on mission was actually essential to embrace in order to live this out. So we needed to wholeheartedly embrace this idea of living as families, point one, and, and acting uh, or living out the mission, point two. We needed to be like families and we needed to live out the mission. Now, if you haven't observed this before, in church small groups, when um, there is no clear, crystal clear cut vision for small groups, what will usually end up happening is that groups, small groups turn into a once a week meeting between people when there is a discussion that happens or a Bible study that happens. And what happens, the result of that is a sense of spiritual encouragement for individuals who go home and take it with them throughout their life, throughout the rest of the week. Now, hear me saying this. I love Bible studies. If you're in a Bible study, don't quit. Keep doing it. It's amazing for your soul. But if we want to be the church that God is calling us to be, if we want to follow what the Holy Spirit, I believe, is trying to create, we need to live out this calling to be the church, to be families, to be on mission. And so starting now, uh, we are saying in our church um, that we are doubling down on these two things. We're doubling down on acting like family and living out the mission. And so thinking about the family piece, we talked about this two weeks ago. We said, hey, we are going to be a people who truly prioritize one another in our city groups. We're going to be a people who truly love one another. We will consider at times others people's needs better than our own. We will be radically committed to one another and love one another. Think of all the one another commands. That's what we want to embrace in our family. And even when we gather together in city groups, um, we are changing our, our discussion format from a, a fairly information heavy kind of format to a more application heavy kind of format. And what I mean by that is that we want to sit down together and discuss and wrestle through and pray through what would it actually look like for that sermon that we heard on Sunday, for that passage that we just read, what would it actually look like for us to really live that out? And that's the heart of what we want to to capture, to be a people, to live out this family aspect and keep each other accountable to that. And then we want to be wholeheartedly committed at the same time to the mission. As we gather together, we want to, to think about, talk about, pray about what it would look like to serve people in our city, to, to serve the vulnerable in our city, to share the gospel with people who don't know. And we want to embrace this idea of mission by talking about it every single week when we gather. Now, I was having lunch uh, not too long ago with a leader in our church. And he already knew about some of this stuff and some of the, the format changes that we were considering. And, and as we were talking, we were both reflecting on the fact that we'd heard a number of people uh, kind of be concerned because they're like, man, if we like talk about mission every week, uh, isn't that going to like, yeah, it's going to kind of get old. It's going to kind of get boring, won't it? And honestly, I've had the same thought before. I'm like, oh man, is this going to be like weird and redundant to talk about some of the same things every week? So I wrestled through it, I prayed through it, and here's only feel like God brought to my mind in this, that, that talking about mission is only boring if you're not actually doing it. Like if you're not running at it and you're not pursuing it and you have nothing to say, you got no stories to tell, then it's 
probably not going to be very fun to talk about it, but think about this. If we are a people who cry out to the Spirit and beg Him for divine appointments in our work or in our neighborhood, if we beg Him to give us names, if we're on our knees praying at night or in the morning or throughout the day, if we are pushing through some of our comfort barriers that keep us held back and we're actually having real spiritual conversations with people, if we're seeing conversions, if we're like actually sharing our faith when we are so fearful before that we would never even consider doing it and we've got all of this going on and you've got say 12 people in your city group shoot say there's only five people in your city group that are doing it but you're coming together one night a week with these fresh new stories of the holy spirit dropping names and situations and scenarios and new work and new fruit on you and you're coming together to talk about this to strategize about it and to pray about it that sounds like anything but dull to me right like this could be an exciting thing i think this could be a a new thing for our church to really champion, but honestly, we have to be devoted to it. And so, Providence, um, I don't want us to uh, settle into just following the course of, you know, the American church just because that's what American churches do. And I want us to kind of shake this maybe Eeyore-like attitude of, like in this, I'm guilty of this too, like, oh, my neighbor, he's never... He's never going to believe in Jesus. My coworker, there's no way. That he, this, like, I want us to shake that and pray hard that the Spirit would move. And I want us to, to shake our, some of our expectations of, of just sitting back in our comfort zone and never actually pressing through and doing maybe what God has laid on our heart to do. And on top of that, man, I, I want our our people to begin not just idealistically thinking about community and what they want, but actually uh, to put our actions in play and actually begin to do the hard work of loving one another. I think this is what God has called us to do, but it's going to be take, it's going to take being devoted to the scattered rhythm of living as families on mission, where we share life, we share burdens, we share our stuff, we share time with one another, we share our gifts with one another. That is the kind of lifestyle it's going to take to be devoted to this scattered rhythm like the church in Acts was. So to end today, to end the sermon today, <clears throat> we're going to do something a little bit different. And um, we uh, <clears throat> have, there are 11 leaders and a whole slew of other people who have felt called mission. They have heard again, um, new city groups or new little pockets of being families on mission. They have heard from God and they have a specific burden uh, to live this way, to push out into the darkness, into our world and actually um, blaze a trail. So I'm going to invite, yeah, I think there's a whole slew of people here that are going to talk. I have a mic here, excuse me. I promised I wouldn't hop down off the stage again and I just did it again. Um, Hey, I want to invite you guys up. If you're here, are there people here? Yes, thank you. Reese, I appreciate you leading the way. So, so what I want to do is invite these guys up here. I want you to see them and know that there are new people who have been called by God to do this afresh and anew. And we want to, as a church, commission them as families on mission um, to run after this. And so we're going to hear from these three. There's three groups kind of scattered up here up front. And uh, we're going to hear just, uh, just a, a couple sentences uh, from each one. And then we're going to, as a church, extend our hands and pray for these guys that this could become a reality in our, um, in our scattered life the six days of the week. So can I hand the mic to you first? All right. 
everybody, my name is Reese, and this is my wife, Leah. Uh, we help give leadership to the Young Couples Group. Uh, and as we thought through the formation of this group, we just realized we've been married for a little over two years. Um, and as most of you who have been married for any amount of time know, like, there's also, they're like, there's some great highs in marriage, but in reality, there's also some lows that often we don't tend to think about or like talk about in community. And so our heart for this group was just to, to realize that and to invite other young couples in to uh, just experience what it looks like to live as a family, uh, specifically in the context of pursuing like healthy marriages. And then also realizing that like in scripture, the picture painted is that like uh, a marriage is actually have a really unique uh, place in displaying Christ in the church and displaying the gospel. And so we want to uh, missionally look at what does it uh, look like to pursue that and to be able to display the gospel to people uh, in and through our marriages. Hi, I'm Marissa. And I'm Josh. I'm Alex. <laughs> and I'm Kaylin. And we're the leaders for the Northwest City Group. Um, so we're just down 72nd North. Once you meet um, 680, then, then we're right there around Cunningham Lake. And um, our mission is pretty simple. We want to be disciples and make disciples who are serious about the Word of God. We, um, we just really want to be good studiers, learners, and appliers of the Word of God. So Wednesday night, 630. Hi, my name's Scott, and we are the Young Adults uh, Group. Um, yeah, so uh, we meet in Blackstone, and basically the whole purpose of our group is that as uh, people graduate from college, it's kind of a weird time in your life where you don't know what you're supposed to be doing, but uh, basically we want to be uh, unified for Christ and kind of come together as a family and and keep each other accountable and push each other in that direction and then just uh, be a place where, where people who don't feel like they have a place that they can come and, and, and feel welcomed and included in, in the local church. All right. Thanks, you guys. Okay, so here's what we want to do. We want to uh, not only hear from them. By the way, if you want to join any of these groups, you'd love to have people, right? Yeah, okay, just making sure. Um, but we want to uh, commission these guys as a church to live out this mission. The Holy Spirit is with them. He's laid a burden on their hearts. And now it's an opportunity uh, that they could live this out in these spheres that the rest of us, frankly, uh, don't have the opportunity to reach or don't have the opportunity uh, to be salt and light in. And so what I would invite you to do, uh, if you feel comfortable, is just to raise out your hand as a sign of support and uh, let us pray over these guys and commission them to go out here. Um, would you pray with me? Jesus, um, we are so thankful that you create new life. You take people from uh, death to life, but you don't just leave people there and ask that people would um, figure life out after that, but you send your Holy Spirit to go with us and you create uh, a radical, loving family um, who lives out your mission. And so God, I pray as um, some of these people share uh, their hearts of um, truly embracing what your word says and apply that to their lives um, as people in this life stages of young adults and young families. God, I pray uh, that there could be um, just an amazing gospel fruit that comes from their 
efforts of reaching out to people, of inviting people in, of loving uh, people inside the group and outside of the group. And God, I pray that as a result of these, that new people would come to faith, um, that people who are a little bit ho-hum about their faith would understand the beauty of living life with you and living in a family, um, and that there could be um, even new disciples made and that these groups could actually multiply the next year, that there could be new groups up here that we're commissioning because of their efforts. And so God, as a church, we send them out and we pray that your spirit would do um, immeasurably more than all we could ask or think and and that you could um, yield amazing fruit in the lives of these groups. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.